Hi, this is Jesslyn Etchell, and I'm chatting with some of my favorite women in a series called Wildish Wise Women, Conversations with Everyday Goddesses. It's my passion to connect women and remind us that supporting one another is our greatest strength. These discussions are an extension of the in-person women's circles I lead in the Bay Area, and we'll explore a variety of topics. Thanks for joining us. All right, well, I'm super excited. I am talking with Darcy Fontenot today. She's a music therapist and social worker. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, she has her bachelor's in music therapy from Texas Women's University, and she moved out to San Diego to complete an internship, became a contracted music therapist, and worked with tons of different populations, but fell in love with hospice. That sounds kind of funny, but you really resonated with the hospice population and decided to go back to grad school to get your master's in social work from San Diego State. And Darcy currently works in hospice. I have to say she's a mama and a wife, and she still lives in San Diego. And she is the inspiration for why I have my new moon circle up in the Bay Area. So Darcy started the new moon circle that I was part of in San Diego. And I just loved the experience so much that when I moved up here, I got my own circle going. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> she was our mama moon. That's what we affectionately <laughs> called Darcy. <laughs> I just like to say a little blessing and just get ourselves kind of centered into the space. So if we can just take a couple of breaths, a couple of just inhales and exhales. If you're listening, you can do it with us too. Just sort of arrive to the space. And may each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. And may each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. And then, Darcy, what is your favorite thing about being a woman before we start our talk? Oh, wow. Man, that's a, that's a big one. As I've gotten older and, and had my son, there's so many things that resonate about being a woman. But I feel like just so much of that intuitive, nurturing, um, you know, aspect of being a woman and, and and honestly, you know, even if people choose not to birth children, just the fact that our bodies are that miraculous that they can, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, you know, having a child did really kind of put me more centered into my womanhood and, and just feeling so blessed to be able to, to create something so magical and, and, um, yeah, we're pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> Yeah, he's a super cool little dude. All right. Well, thank you. So Darcy is going to talk to us today about her experience working with people in their final days and also just how she's incorporated all of her different skills, including the music and the social work aspect. So just for people that maybe don't know about hospice and the palliative care model, if you just, just a few sentences on kind of what hospice is and what palliative care is, because I don't, some of these words might be new to people. Yeah. So um, the way I like to think about it is palliative care is sort of a larger model. It's, um, you know, really more person-centered. I think, you know, our older way of doing medicine was kind of like you have this one diagnosis and it's just you have a certain thing prescribed for that. And really with the palliative movement, it was, 
you know, how can we create the most comfort, the most well-rounded sort of care for each individual. And so it's really a, a model that's based in comfort and, um, you know, people who have any sort of serious condition or illness to alleviate their symptoms. So any sort of negative symptoms that might be pain or anxiety or shortness of breath or anything like that that's just being a detriment to their everyday life. Um, with palliative care, that's kind of the, the overall arch of it. And it's really, you know, can be given to anyone with a di- any kind of diagnosis that's, that's causing them um, problematic symptoms. Whereas hospice is sort of a subspecialty of that. It's a smaller window. It still operates under the palliative care model and, and that comfort model, but it is um, designed and given only for those who have a terminal illness. So it's their doctors have, um, you know, come to the conclusion that if the disease that they have runs its normal course, that they could potentially pass away in six months or less. Okay. So, you know, we are, we're not given a crystal ball, so we can't ever say with certainty when that end is going to come, but it's just, you know, if things were to progress that, that, um, we're looking at a prognosis of six months or less. So. Oh, great. I I totally learned something. Palliative care I knew was like keeping people comfortable, but I didn't know that it operated outside of hospice. So it's basically created sort of by hospice or, or hospice is more famous for that model more so than the curative model. Right. Right, okay. right. But palliative care, you can be seeking curative treatments, but still be seeing a palliative care specialist to kind of get those symptoms and comf- you know under control and be more comfortable. So it's um, all about comfort. Right? I is- like it. That's good. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, I appreciate that that exists and that people like you are are you know fighting to make it more mainstream and available. So, um, well, tell me because. I have to say, as a social worker myself, hospice has scared the crap out of me, and I definitely <laughs> have not ever been drawn to hospice, um, yeah. although I'm so grateful that it exists and so grateful for people like you. So tell tell me why. I mean, why was hospice it for you, and so much so that you're like, I'm going to go back to school so I can be better at this. <laughs> right. It's, it's really interesting because I also was very scared of it in the beginning, Um, And really, it was through my internship um, for music therapy, you know, as as part of the music therapy curriculum, after you finish your coursework, um, you have to do a six month internship and, and then sit for a board certification exam. So the internship that I chose was Music Works Incorporated, which is out here in San Diego. And it's a wonderful program run by Barbara Royer, who we're it's, you know, a lot of internships have a singular focus, uh, um, like just working with people with developmental disabilities or, you know, working in hospice or something like that. Whereas this internship had a lot of different experiences and we um, were exposed to a lot of different things. And hospice was one of those. And I really had no interest going into my internship of doing hospice, but I, um, you know, it was part of my rotation. I had to do it. And I remember the first day that I showed up to do my hospice hours, I was at a a facility, a a nursing facility, and I showed up and the patient that I was going to see, um, the staff came up and said, oh, we're so glad you're here. She's actively dying and there's no family here yet. They're on their way. And, you know, can you go in and provide some comfort? And, (laughs) you know, I was like right out the bat, just like thrown completely in. And I, I was, I was freaking out. I, you know, I was, I remember standing outside of the room for 
oh gosh, I don't know how long, a good 10 minutes probably just breathing and saying, oh my God, what am I doing? (laughs) Like, I don't know if I can do this. And I went in and, you know, she was, uh, she was actively dying and she was at that very end stage where she was, um, mostly non-responsive, but she was breathing kind of heavily and, um, was just, she was in there alone. And so I started kind of just singing with her and, you know, I had my guitar and I was playing some soft music and singing and, and then something switched and, um, somehow the fear went away and I, throughout the session ended up putting my guitar down and then grabbing her hand and holding her hand and singing to her. And I noticed that her breathing started relaxing and it was, I don't know when it shifted or how it shifted, but something shifted in it. And then it was interesting because I, you know, starting out being so afraid to go into the room. And then at some point was like, I don't want to leave until her family's here. I, I don't want her to be alone. And so the family did arrive and then they thanked me for being there. And then we were able to all kind of together sing a few songs that were meaningful to her and share some stories. And it was just really cathartic for everyone. And I remember walking out of the room, just feeling this sense of depth and, um, I don't even know how to put it into words. Just, just this feeling of, okay, that, that is what we're supposed to be doing here in the world. And that's a connection that is so real and so, um, needed. And I just, from that day on hospice just was, uh, felt sort of like a calling. And so it kind of shifted my whole, um, idea of what I wanted to do. And I, I started jumping gung-ho into hospice. And then after finishing my internship, you know, the bulk of my hours was in hospice and it just felt like it was something so meaningful and so relatable. Um, you know, there's a lot of areas that I, I don't feel like, you know, I may be qualified to help, but I don't really know the experience where I've had personal losses. And I, I did feel like I could empathize in a way that, you know, don't always know what they're going through, but at least have had that feeling. And so to kind of walk beside someone doing that, I, it was just so meaningful. So I decided to go back to school and get some more tools in my tool belt and go back into hospice work and be able to just do it on an even deeper level. So that's a really long answer, but no, it was beautiful. I totally needed some tissues there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. How, I mean, what a great first experience for everybody. I mean, they probably had no clue that it was your first day on the hospice job. You just fell right in and did exactly what she needed. I mean, talk about in women's intuition there. You said, (laughs) all right, here's what she needs and this is what I'll do. Yeah. So, whew, that's amazing. So you just, you mentioned like a little bit about it, but I want people to know what music therapy is. So if you could just (laughs) talk about that, because I... I know that there's some um, misunderstandings about that. I even, um, so Darcy is one of many of my friends that it happens to be a music therapist. I think once I met one, I just sort of met you all. <laughs> yeah. And I remember the first time that I heard about a, a mutual friend of ours being a music therapist. I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. I want to be a music therapist. And I like Googled it. And I'm like, oh, you, you like have a bachelor's degree in music yeah. therapy. It's like a big deal. It's not like a weekend workshop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really interesting profession. I mean, I, I think the idea of music as a healing agent has been around, you know, forever. I mean, Plato wrote about it, but, um, 
the actual establishment of the profession really, I think, came around in the 70s when um, people noticed uh, that, um, well, first it kind of started in, in veterans' hospitals, and, and people were noticing that when people were, uh, or veterans were coming back from the war with, you know, all sorts of ailments, physical and psychological, that, um, you know, people really wanted to reach out to them. And so a lot of volunteer musicians would come into the hospitals and, and play music. And, uh, you know, the doctors and nurses, I think, were starting to realize that people had, um, you know, great outcomes with the music. And a lot of times it really, you know, they were, they couldn't explain why, but, you know, they were getting out of the hospital faster or they weren't needing as much pain medication and things like that. And wow. so they said, maybe there's something to this. But they also noticed that um, in certain areas, especially for people with maybe some psychological trauma, um you know, having people who were untrained in in what was going on with these people and what they're de- what they were dealing with, that uh, it could also sometimes be a trigger for a lot. So um, some people were having some adverse reactions, and so they say, you know, maybe there is something to this, but maybe the people who are doing it need a little more training. So, <laughs> yeah, um, not just a weekend workshop or know how right. to strum a guitar. Okay, exactly. yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, so the you know the profession was built, and um, the degree is really interesting. I mean, we take all sorts of classes from anatomy and physiology, and you know, some medical classes to some psychology classes and music classes. And it's just kind of this mishmash of, um, a lot of different things. And so it's, um, you know, it's just a, it's a profession where we always use music somehow and base that off of the ways our brains and bodies and memories respond to music. Um, but music is not the goal of the session. So, you know, it may be, to tap into, uh, you know, uh, or assist with pain management. It might be for creative expression. A lot of times with uh, children and adults with developmental disabilities, it might be teaching them new skills or um, or things like that. So there's always some other outcome that we're striving for and, you know, have a treatment plan and evaluation and all that good stuff. But music is always used somehow as a catalyst for the therapy. So. Um, and that can take on a lot of different things depending on what population you work with. And so in hospice, I generally, I use a lot for relaxation and pain management. I also use it a lot for uh, memory recall and life review. There's a lot of, um, memories tied to music and it can be a powerful tool to kind of go back through a person's life and validate different things that they were able to do and kind of give them that peace before they pass on and um or we can do songwriting to either get out their feelings or something to leave behind for their family so it's like music's always used but it's not music's not the outcome it's it's whatever yeah it's just a it's a tool yeah, yeah so yeah. well and I think that that's true of a lot of the therapy even as social workers sometimes just the relationship we're building with someone is what's the most valuable not even the intervention totally <laughs> it's just that you're there I mean you talked exactly. about walking in and, and holding that woman's hand and watching her relax and mm-hmm. you, know, you just knew what she needed in the moment that was going to be my next question anyway how is it helpful with um, people that are dying so you, you yeah. covered that for sure I love the idea of writing a song to leave behind. That's great. That's always one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, what a fun process for everybody. And exactly. to have the family get to keep that. 
Yeah, it's cathartic for the patient to get out whatever you know messages they want to leave or whatever they're going through. But it's also such a beautiful gift to leave behind for the family and and for them to be able. You know, sometimes I'll record the song if the person's not comfortable singing or talking. Um, but as much as they're comfortable, if they'll do it, it's even better. I mean, it's and they're hearing their voice and um, really having that that keepsake that. As we, as anybody who's lost someone knows, is just so invaluable. So, oh gosh, yes, wow. Well, that kind of leads right into the next question that I have, which is, I know obviously just from that first story you told us that you've just been present for some incredible moments. But are there some overall themes and and just things that come up time and time again with both the people who are at the end of their life and their families that um, I don't know you could pass on to us that maybe you find yourself noticing throughout your life, you know, because I know when people come to the end, they have these realizations, but if you're there for them when they're like getting these aha moments, maybe you get to incorporate them into your day to day. Yeah, I think, um, well, I guess I could say what I see as themes that come up for people and things that come up for myself. And um, I, you know, I mean, every, every journey is different and every patient and family that I work with is different, but um, you know, you always find that, or whatever has, whatever they've used as a coping mechanism their whole life, or the things that are meaningful to them, or the things that they um, just hold really deep in their heart, those are all magnified by, you know, the dying process and, and approaching end of life. And I think that everything of that becomes more precious. And so, it's not only about, you know, validating those things and trying to incorporate as many of those things into your, their day-to-day life, um, but just kind of, you know, yeah, walking that with them. I, you know, even also on on the um, converse of that, there's, there's also a lot of people, um, you also see a lot of the negative things that come out. So maybe family dynamics or mm-hmm. things that have always been at play. Um, you know, they just get magnified. And so I think as hospice workers, we try our hardest to just walk alongside everyone, try and bring out those positive coping and positive parts of life that they've always held on to and realize that, you know, in this short amount of time that we're with them, we're never going to fix the problem. Um, You know, there's nothing to fix about it. It's just to honor it and to, try and and keep things as as comfortable and calm as they can be so if that's providing resources or if that's allowing a a space to share or if that's trying to um work within the family dynamics to uh at least get everyone where they can be on the same page or you know there's it, it comes up in a lot of different ways but um i think it's just honoring that person in their life and that's to me, the most important thing and holding space for what everyone's going through. Um, and I find that that out of all the counseling techniques and music techniques and everything that I've learned, I think that's the most important thing that, um, I've figured out is just how important it is to hold space and to allow people to share their stories or their concerns or their joys or, um, and that seems to be a running theme through everything is if you can just be present with them, then, that's the biggest gift. That you can um, as far as from my own personal life, I think, you know, if you 
do this type of work and you're presented with um, death on a regular basis, I sometimes forget that other people aren't, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I have moments in my job every once in a while where I'm in this really intense moment and I have this moment like, whoa, this is what I do and this uh-huh. isn't what other people do, you know? I know. I think all of us social workers have those moments. I've definitely <laughs> not, not in the same way as you at the hospice, of course, but I'm like, this is my job. This is what I'm getting paid for. What? (laughs) Just because we get put in such interesting uh, scenarios that are just not part of the everyday life for most people. (laughs) Exactly. But you know, it's like, I think from that, I'm also given such gifts. Um, You know, it's not always easy to hold on to, but I, I don't think that you can do this type of job and then come home and not want to tell people you love them and, Right. live as much of a, um, you know, positive, joyful life as you can do and just try and send as much love out there as possible. Um, you know, and, and again, I don't do that every day. No one's perfect, but I think that you do, you know, you try not to sweat the small stuff and, and you get a glimpse of what's truly important. And I feel so honored that I get to hear these people's stories and, um, be invited into this sacred time because it's, it is very special. And, um, and I just love the story. (laughs) I just love them. That's where we're headed. Is there like one, I mean, I know, okay, so HIPAA, we know that you can't tell any any specific details, but just, I mean, I loved your first experience. That was extremely touching, but are there just some, like a moment or something that just stands out as like, wow, I was in awe, you know, an awesome moment creating oh, awe yeah. in you and just yeah. like, stuck with you. There's so many, but, um, <laughs> uh, I'll share two and I'll try and make them fast. But I, okay. um, I, there was one woman that I worked with, um, who it was, a, it was a really, um, hard situation for the whole family because her spouse had also just passed. And so then, then she got a diagnosis and ended up on hospice. And so it was just really, trying time for her. And this one woman in particular just was not ready to, to say that it was the end. And she was very much fighting and trying to hold on to the end. And in that way, she didn't want to talk about anything that was coming and, um, which is okay. That's, that's her process and that's what we honor. And, but she towards, I don't know, she kind of kept hinting at the fact that she, knew it was coming, but she didn't, she wanted to stay strong for her family. And so at a certain point the the daughters were really having a hard time because they wanted to be able to tell her goodbye and she wouldn't allow them to have that conversation. And I had been working with her for quite a while on with her anxiety and doing guided relaxations and things like that. And so uh, she had declined pretty rapidly and I went and we had the same visualization that we always did. And I, brought her back to the same space that, you know, we always did every session. And, um, but I made it a little different. I had her whole family come and surround her and they all hugged and, um, and just, you know, and then I had her at the very end walk away. And when she came out of the relaxation, she, you know, of course, you know, the whole time was just validating that, like they're all giving her hugs and surrounding her with love and surrounding her with peace and light and things like that. And so, she came out of the relaxation and she just, you know, had one tear that she kind of let go and she grabbed my hand and said, thank you. And 
and just this, oh, this really heartfelt thank you and that I still can hear. And then I found out that she actually passed away the next day. So it was like a really way for her to kind of release without having to actually say the words. And then, I mean, gosh, I could share so many stories about times uh, that memory is spurred by music. And that part is always, and I think some people have always seen like the work of Oliver Sacks and, you know, some of the things that you see. The one that the man who mistook his wife for a hat, is that Sacks? Oh, you know what? I I don't even remember. I think so. Yes, yes, yes. yes. (laughs) That is one of his. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there that shows this, but it's, you know, and there's a lot of great research also that talks about music and memory and why we hold things so, uh, so, so much when music is involved in kind of whole brain processes that I won't get into because it's the whole thing. But yeah. um, I, you know, I, I've seen on multiple occasions where patients with very, late stage Alzheimer's or dementia who, you know, to be on hospice actually with Alzheimer's, you have to be very far along. And, um, part of the diagnosis is even that, or part of the criteria for eligibility is even that you can't speak more than a certain amount of words and, you know, this stuff. And most, so most of these people, I mean, they don't say more than a couple of canned phrases or a couple of words at a time. And most of them don't remember their family members and things like that. But, It's just amazing that you'll go in and start singing a song and there's just this glint that comes back to their eye and they will sing along with you. Sometimes they'll even begin to tell a story and um, it's just incredible. It's just incredible to watch that that light come back and and to be able to give them a moment of connection when they don't get that um, in in their current state. So it's um, even if it's just for that five minutes, you know, it's like... What a gift to be able to experience that with them for that five yeah, minutes. Absolutely. Well, I think we've all experienced music as a healing, you know, something healing in our lives. I, I definitely, you know, turn on music when you're feeling down or just yeah, sing along or dance. I mean, there's so many different things just in, in just music alone, not even going into the therapeutics of it. I mean, it just is what it, you know, on its own, it's therapeutic exactly. <laughs> without yeah. having, I mean, it's so cool that you have all that background and that there's research. And I, I love that that's being done and that, you know, people are showing up like, it's not just because we decided it's good and we, we see people yeah. like it. It's like, okay, we actually studied this stuff. We know what it's doing on a you know, on, on a level here in our brain. And so that's, really and it's cool. amazing. I mean, I love, I love it too. I love that. It, it's so validating to like something that I, you already feel innately within yourself. You're like, this feels good. Yeah. You know, and then, exactly. And I'm funny because I don't really need the research. I just go, oh, well, yeah, I know it works, but I know that it's important for funding. And so that, you know, you can go do these things so that a hospice can have a music therapy program. They have to be able to show that, okay, this is why it works. Yeah. And it is amazing. Some of the stuff that's out there. And again, I know we don't really have time to go into it all, but oh man, it's just, it's incredible what they're studying now and and what they're finding. And um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. I'm so glad that you're passionate about it and that your clients are just so lucky to have you. So, um, well, I'm super grateful for you. I just have a few little questions at the end that are related to our subjects here. What's one book that changed your life? Oh, wow. Um, you know, the, one of my favorite, favorite books, um, is the geography of bliss. 
And I don't know if it would all apply now because it's many years later, but, well, not many years. I think it was, I don't remember, maybe it was written in the early 2000s or something. But, um, and I can't even recall the guy's name. It's Eric something. I'll look it up and I'll add it. When I, when I post this interview, I'll make sure I have a link so people can look it up. It's, um, I think it was just really interesting to read because, so what it is, is the premise of it. They have, uh, this, I guess, researcher who every year rates, um, based off of surveys, I guess, or something. I don't remember the whole thing, but they rate all of the countries based on a happiness scale of which one's the happiest and which one's the least happy. Oh. And um, and so this NPR journalist, he kind of travels around to a certain amount of them, some of the happy ones, some of the middle ones, some of the lower ones, and just kind of talks about why the indicators said that that was a happy country. He talks to some of the people about why they feel like um, they're happy or not happy and things like that. And it was just not only interesting from like kind of travel perspective and hearing about these different places, but also just, I don't know, it really made me sit and think, I think for the first time of like, Oh, what is happiness? Yeah. What yeah. makes you happy? And can that be defined? And what is it, you know, and it just kind of opened up this whole other discussion in my brain, but it also was just a fun read. So, cool. and then, um, what's your favorite yoga pose? Ooh, favorite yoga pose. I think I might have to say that's a hard one too. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's something about, okay, it's, it's kind of two poses, but I think one of my favorite things to do, and this is strange, but is monkey back down to forward fold. Okay. Um, And I don't know why exactly, but there's something about that, like, lifting and feeling my back straightened and just feeling strong and then to release it all it always feels so good (laughs) nice that sounds like a good like midday pose to just get up and do (laughs) also just feels really good in my back so yeah (laughs) okay and who inspires you oh wow so many people inspire me you inspire me my music therapy friends inspire me um my parents inspire me. And I think my, you know, um, my grandmother, my, my momo, who has passed on, but I think that I feel like a lot of the work I do now is related to things that that she taught me and just that kind of heart of service and heart of love and um a lot of the things that I think that I wasn't able to bring to her because I was still studying about the end of life when she passed. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's kind of, I try to take that and bring it to all of these other people in, in a way to kind of serve it to her as well. Wow. So, wow. yeah. Amazing. And uh, grandma on which side? Uh, my mother's side. Okay. Yeah. And what did you call her? Mama. Mama. And that's what Ray calls your mom now, right? Yep. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> and I think he's learning a lot of the same lessons from her. So <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I am super stoked that Darcy agreed to send us off with a song in <laughs> music therapy fashion. So are you gonna are you gonna use your ukulele? I am. Sweet. <laughs> okay, so Darcy's just gonna serenade us. We just get to listen. All right, so this song I chose, um, it's actually not a song that I work 
use in my work, but um, it's a song that I feel reflects the work and kind of the message that I've received from doing this work and the message that I hope to give to others <laughs> in doing this work. Um, and I actually sang this song one night at an open mic, which is very rare for me because, believe it or not, I have some stage fright issues. Um, it's easy in therapy, but for some reason when I get on stage, I don't like it. But <laughs> I, um, I, I was actually present at this one gentleman's death, and, and it was um, had been a very long road for him. But it was just one of the most beautiful passings. The, the wife and him were so tender, and it was just such a beautiful thing to be able to to be present for and to hold space for and just, yeah. And I remember leaving that day just feeling so inspired and so touched. And so I thought about this song on the top of my head and I ran and got my stuff and looked up the song online and then went to the open mic and sang it. And I still, every time I sing it, I think about them and I think about that moment and yeah, and so I'm going to pass it on to you guys, too. It's called Do You Realize, and it's from The Flaming Lips, um, from a really great album, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robot. Oh, which awesome is title. Great <laughs> title. It's, it's an amazing, amazing CD. In fact, I won't go into the story of that, too, but there's an amazing story behind that also. So anybody who's interested, you should look it up. All right, so here we go. Oh, let them know. 
you so much we didn't even get into <laughs> death and dying in our society but just the fact that you're honoring it in the way that you are and allowing people to just be wherever they're at and giving them the space to talk about it and to work through it in the best way in the time that they have left is an absolute gift it's amazing yeah I feel I feel like it's a gift to me in the same so I Gifts I feel all around. This work and I I feel honored to be to be there for those moments. So I it that that doesn't go past me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well and so lucky for Ray to have you as a mama who is Aww. present and knows that life is fleeting and so you, you spend all the time you can and give him all the love. I try. I'll oh, give- well, he is super lovable, so it's pretty super lovable. easy. <laughs> well, thank you, Darcy. I love you so much. I'm so I grateful you. for you. I am too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye.